From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 267 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling. I am delighted to be back after our August hiatus. I'll talk a little more about what I did um, at the end of the show. I'm joined by longtime listener to Connecting with Walt and good friend Anita Bauman. Anita, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. And would how about telling our listeners just a little about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. I am a professional editor and photographer. I live in central Pennsylvania, but I originally hail from Maryland right outside Washington, D.C., In my free time, I love to travel with my husband, and we love to, whenever we can visit any Disney destination. I love to read um, books in general, but also uh, books about Disney, as well as watching content about Disney, particularly the history of Walt and the studios, Disney films and the parks. And as you mentioned, I'm a regular listener of this show, and so it's just a great honor for me to be here to be able to talk about this uh, event experience that we were able to share in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy that we were able to as well. And I saw you were taking notes as diligently as I was. So that's good. So how did you become a Disney fan? What sparked your fandom? Well, you know, I was a Disney kid. Um, my mom had grown up with, with Disney, seeing, you know, Snow White and, and Pinocchio and all the movies of, of the 40s um, when they came out in some cases. And so she was really diligent about making sure that when movies were re-released, um, that she took me to the movies uh, and then new releases. I distinctly remember seeing Robin Hood and Pete's Dragon and The Rescuers. And then, you know, connected to that was every Christmas. It seemed like there were new Disney items um, under the tree, uh, as well as the Disney books through the the uh, Wonderful World of Reading Club, uh, where they had those books. I think that series continues today. Um, so that all fed just kind of my love of Disney animation and Disney filmmaking. And then as I got older uh, and became more aware of Walt's unique story um, and and the uh, through 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 podcasts like this or other um, sources, the Walt Disney Family Museum, I I really came to admire him and he became one of my heroes, and so I had a desire to kind of study more and read more about Walt, um, and that's what I've really been doing. I'd say over the last ten years or so is just as much as I can find, as much as I can consume about, about him and the work that he and his brother did. Um, And so that's what I look for when I go to an event like this is what are, what are you going to give me about Walt and, and, and his legacy? Mm -hmm. And and I think they did a bit of that in, in, in this event. So yes, I don't think it's ever enough. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you. Now, from September 8th through September 10th, Anita, her husband, and I, along with hundreds of other Disney fans, attended Destination D23, which is sort of like a mini D23 Expo without the chaos and crowds, though. Uh, This year's event was promoted as Journey Through Every Era of Disney, as we venture back through the last century of storytelling 
and look forward to a limitless future for the company and its most dedicated fans. So once we're done recapping, we'll see did they meet this mission statement. So in this episode, Anita and I will talk about the September 8th shopping event and the events of day one on September 9th, from unpacking the special gift um, to D23 night at Epcot. We'll also talk about Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party that we attended on September 8th. Now, the the shopping event was September 8th, and of course, there was a sign-up that you had to do online. It went as smoothly as we have all come to expect from Disney and their website. So Nita, do you, I did not attend the shopping event because I didn't, I got a later time in the afternoon and I had already had a tour planned, but Anita, you went. So how did it go for you? So it went, it went smoothly there. Um, and, and it went smoothly for me on the signup end, although I know for some Disney, uh, for some D23 members, there were issues because they never got the sign up. But from my end, um, things went smoothly there. So you waited in a queue outside of the convention center. Thankfully, the weather was um, not so hot at, at that point in time and not raining. Um, we were at a nine o'clock shopping block. So there was only one block before us. And once they let you in or they gave you a wristband that had a tab for each store, because on Friday you could only visit each store once. And theoretically you were only supposed to spend an hour across all three stores. So it was a little bit high pressure um, if you were slow to decide. And and, uh, so we uh, went in and the three spaces that they had was, were the uh, Walt Disney company store, which includes branded items uh, that say Walt Disney studios or Walt Disney company that are typically only available to employees. Um, Also that section had some D23 merchandise, but it was not specific to destination D. It was just general D23 merchandise. And I will say my husband and I spent a lot in there because they had some really nice looking sweatshirts and, and t-shirts with kind of the Mickey with the, the, um, the eyes that we like and, you know, and just, you know, with paintbrushes and different things. And so uh, for us, we figured that was, there were things that we were not, had not seen before and might not see again. Um, So we gave, we gave our contribution there for the most part. The second setup was Mickey's of Glendale, which is familiar probably to anybody who's attended one of these big D23 events. Um, it is an Imagineering focus, but it also has other things included. For example, this year it had a lot on the Muppets, uh, Muppets shirts and Muppets artwork and just different Muppets items. Um, it was also where you would find the Destination D23 branded items. Um, which had a lot of purple because that seemed to be the color for this year, purple and black. And Mickey and Oswald were featured on some of the items. And there was a spirit jersey that people were scooping up and some are now reselling. There was also a book section. Many of the books that that we're familiar with about the 50th anniversary uh, and of iWorks and different things, but they did highlight that the authors would be there. Um, Mm -hmm. signing at different times throughout the weekend. So if you didn't have the book and wanted to buy it, you could get it signed. Um, And then the last section was the ink and paint marketplace, which featured um, different vendors with Lug, who was the the conference uh, sponsor, main sponsor, having a booth. And then there was Lionel Trains and Disney Fine Art and Citizens Watches. And and so they had a a nice section there. The first day out there, we we did buy a piece of uh, art, that was done by Tim 
I think his name was Rogerson, one of the um, um, animator painters. Um, but mostly, I think I said, we bought the same piece, <laughs> so, didn't we? Because yeah, I went in a little one. later the next day, and yeah, I bought the same one, and he uh, he um, drew a little picture of Mickey and autographed it on the back. And that kind of illustrates a point too, because you went a day or two later, and when we bought it, they said, "Oh, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last." I will say. I went in to the, to the stores uh, once or twice after Friday and I didn't see anything sold out. That, I agree. Yeah. You know, this whole thing about, Oh, you know, you've got to get this shopping thing and, and things are going to sell out. It seemed to me like that on set on Sunday, they still had a lot of merchandise that they were going to be going packing up and going home with. So I feel like they are creating this anticipation about shopping and getting people all stressed out. And then the stuff is still there on Sunday. And, and they even had outside shopping passes sold. And so those people were coming in, you know, they didn't attend the conference, but they were able to buy a shopping pass and come in on Saturday and Sunday. And I think they probably went home very happy because they were able to get the merchandise they wanted. But to me, it was like they had, they had plenty of things and nothing seemed to sell out. Yeah. Yeah. And the piece we bought was Walt on his Carolwood Express train in his yard with the characters, the Fab Five riding it, and his barn in the background. So it's a really nice piece. And you know what Tim said to me when he when he was signing the back of it, he he pointed at Walt and he said, Anytime you do a painting with this guy, there's a lot of levels of review and scrutiny. <laughs> so I, I, that which made me happy because I mean, we want Walt to look like Walt. Um, but, you know, so he you know, I think he seemed happy and, and proud that he had made it through the levels of scrutiny and was able yeah. to see that print to completion. Yeah, but I did all of my purchasing in the um, in the ink and paint room. Well, you, I got the hat the bucket hat that it turned yeah. out to be a destination D hat because when they put them on the shelf, they were all inside out. So you had no idea that this was a destination D hat. So until you got it for me and I turned it inside out and thought, wait a minute. <laughs> so, but then um, I also got this, I, I purchased a few things at Lug. We'll talk more about Lug in a moment because I'd never heard of them before. And then there was a, there was somebody that was selling great Disney socks, really good quality. So I bought like six pairs of socks. I think it was called Rock'em Socks. Yeah, I think so. I think it's something like that. So, and you also got the special gift on that day, correct? On September 8th? Yes, the backpack, the filled mm -hmm. backpack. Right. Yes. I went, the, I since I didn't go to the shopping event, I went on September 9th. I go in there and to the event and I I ask, where do I get a lanyard and where do I get my the backpack the gift and the lanyard was in the backpack well they had run out <laughs> i thought how is this possible and so they told me they were in the back putting them together furiously and they would have them but they didn't know when and they just said just keep checking back against services well i happened to notice when i i went out stepped out of the room that they were handing them out again and so i just went and got mine. So let's go through it because we're going to do an unboxing of this because I haven't really unpacked mine. First of all, Lug makes backpacks and other um, travel goods. So they're going to be making suitcases. They make, what are some of the things that you saw there, Anita, in their booth? So they have um, 
they have this small bag that's called a Skeeter. I don't know why. And they have those right now in different patterns, but their big thing that they were pushing is that next year they're going to be releasing like 12 of those over the course of the year. Some of them will only be available in the parks and it may, may even only be available at Epcot because they're linked to Epcot countries. So you have like Chippendale with Canada and Winnie the Pooh with England. There will be two, um, Orange Bird and Figment that will be on Shop Disney, but it's, it's a great little, um, rectangular bag that's a, that can be a crossbody bag that is good for theme park size. It, it holds enough, but it's small and compact. Um, so they were, they were promoting those, but disappointing people because they weren't ready to sell those. Um, and no. I understand that. <laughs> um, and then they have some, they have some neat, um, totes that fold up, which are great to kind of throw in a, a suitcase in case you, in case you buy something over the course of a trip. Um, and, you know, so they, they do fold up nice and compact. They also mm-hmm. have a backpack that does that. Um, so yeah, so they, they didn't have a ton of different products, but what they had seemed to be well thought out and well made. And um, I will say from the perspective of some of the, the social media groups that are D23 related, people think Lug hit it out of the park as a, as a conference sponsor. With oh, they did. What they did and what they gave us, like people are very happy with Lug. And they felt that the people yeah. that worked the booth were very friendly. Um, I know that I ended up, I think, with one of those folding um, folding totes and one of those small crossbody bags. It's not Disney branded, but you know, I do go to other parks other than Disney. Yeah. I bought a few things too. And then most of it is for women, but they did tell me, um, that they, they, um, are going to have more for men. I know that because I asked that it was definitely women's women's, um, you know, type of gear, but I also, um, I bought when when I bought something, it also had a. Uh, it, they gave you another bag, this wonderful tote bag for free. Yes, and all that, and, and their bags are insulated. This backpack is the softest backpack and one of the sturdiest I've ever seen. The straps are really well packed and all that. They're not a sponsor of the show, but since they'll be in the Disney parks, I wanted to mention it. But I am unzipping the back of it here and. So in it is a little, I don't know what you'd call this. It's like a little doodad tray. And it's its the old Walt Disney Studio sign. Walt Disney Studio, Mickey Mouse, and Silly Symphony sound cartoons. It was on top of the building of the Hyperion Theater. And, and it's metal. And it says D23, the official fan club. And then, um, and then on the back, it says D23 celebrating 100 years of Disney. And so this is nice. I really like this. Then there is an Ariel cookie cutter. So you can make your own little mermaid cookies here. And they even give you a recipe for a recipe card for the cookies. And, um, and if you make the cookies and take a photo of them, they tell you where you can share them, tag Disney Movie Club. Then and there's I, think a little- I think they're actually intending you to also make them as bread dough ornaments. Remember how in the 70s oh, everybody yeah. was making those? I think you have a, a, a process on there where you can save them and put them on your Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an Ariel ornament craft that they have. So they have the recipe for that as well. So that's And then they have an Ariel cookies recipe. Of course, my cookies will never be as good because look how well they decorated them. <laughs> I'll never do that. Exactly. Then they had this little square matted um 
print. And, and in this, what would you say? Eight by eight or something. And then there yeah. are, there's four scenes of Mickey in one. It's, it's his face in every one of them, except for one. And in one of them, he is, um, it's like he's partially drawn. It's as if an animator was explaining how to draw his face. Then there is a Mickey and it's Tim Rogerson did that one. It's Mickey's face and he's smiling. And then there's one, and then there's one where it's, I don't know if it's ice cream Mickey. It's Mickey giving the peace sign, but it looks like there's like strawberry ice cream or something on his ears. I don't know what that is. And then there's one of Minnie Mouse. So, uh, so that it's cute. And what was interesting, somebody was thinking because those same four artists that painted or did those pictures were the four that they highlighted in the booth Mm -hmm. at the ink and paint marketplace. The only people they were selling were those four. Yeah, it's four by four. And the artist, it says on the back, are Brent Iwin, um, Tim Rogerson, Michelle St. Laurent, and Dom Corona. So uh, so anyway, so those are the four artists for that. So that's neat. But wait, there's more. Then there's a little brochure about Disney Magic Band Plus. And you're wondering, huh, that's it. And it goes through. It's just a little, explains how to work it, what its benefits are, and all that kind of stuff. And the reason for that is because when you really dig down into here, you um, there is a Disney Cruise Line uh, Magic Band Plus in there that we got free of charge. So that's cute. So and then and then there was there's an envelope and it says we're excited to live life in color with you this weekend. Open now. Surprises inside, and it says you know sponsored by Lug and all that. So when you go in and stuff's tight in here, there's a little live life in color ink book and there's, it's by lug and there's all kinds of like little, it's as if they're posters and stuff like that. And they, and what it is, it's little posters of all the different bags that you mentioned that they're going to be making. And you're right. It is geared for Epcot. Because there's one, get a big slice out of little Italy Epcot. And it's, um, it's, there's a, there's a, then that's mini is on that one. Then waltzing in the Germany Epcot, there's, it's Mickey in his little Tyrolean hat. Then there's get a big slice of little Italy Epcot arriving 2024, Italia. And that's mini again and her bow at the colors of the Italian flag. Then there's the United Kingdom Epcot. Of course, you can all guess who that is. It's Winnie the Pooh. On there, marching into the United Kingdom. Then for Canada, you're right. It is, um, it's Chip because it's the one with the black nose. Oh, okay. Where's Where's Dale? I don't know where he went. (laughs) And then (laughs) he does. I thought maybe he'd be in the background, but I guess not. And then it's bursting into your imagination is of course the figment Skeeter one coming, and that one looks really cute. And treat yourself to the taste of Florida. There is there is the orange bird um, skeeter, and then of course we have to have a Duffy friend for um, Alani, and it is Olumel. I don't know how you pronounce that, but he's the turtle, and they have him. And then you can draw your own skeeter, and all that as well. And um, anyway, so this is a very clever way to promote what's coming, and you got a little box of crayons with that too. And then in here. There is, oh, there's a little brochure about all these little Skeeters and um, 
talks about them and all their features and pictures of them with them um, from the different uh, different countries in Epcot. And then they give you a set of the postcards um, for the Skeeters from every land in Epcot in there. And then there's a little book that shows all of the things that they make right now for Lug. And there was also a coupon in yeah. here. Um, there were two coupons. Oh, and I have a pen. Wish I knew that earlier. So there's a big pen in there. But oh, there was I don't a. I haven't got that far into the bottom <laughs> of the envelope. <laughs> there was a. There was also a. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, there were coupons Fine. in there. One is you got a pin. You, you had to go to the lug store and uh, lug booth. Their you booth. got a pin, and then you got what was it? Was it twenty three percent off whatever you bought? And then there was a coupon for that. But then they let me keep $23 the coupon, so off the, of a $40 oh, 20, purchase. Oh, $23. Thank you. I knew it was 23 in there somewhere. And then they let me keep the coupon so that I could reuse it online. So that is yes, me too. there. Yeah. So that was very generous. When I opened up the other pack, this has all kinds of stuff in it. There, I don't think I went through all this. Oh, and... um. There, there's a poster that is from Citizen. Did you open this? I haven't opened it. Yeah, it's kind of like a a, a stylized Mickey. Um, Let's see, a little bit, almost like a little bit of a you know top. It's a top oh, hat yeah. Mickey. It's sort of it's by Jeff Shelley, and it's like Mickey in Manhattan kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then and then there, if you purchase something at Citizens Watch, you got a free gift. I didn't. I didn't purchase anything there. I don't need another watch. Then there is oh Joffrey's Coffee. They were. They also had a booth there too, and they have. Of course, they have. They put in the packs of coffee that are in the Disneyland Resort rooms, and all that. So this is Resort Blend. I don't drink coffee, but I always take the packets. <laughs> um, oh my gosh! I didn't know this. There's a Disney Rewards Visa cards from Chase Hat, and yes. it has. Um, Mickey on the side, the classic Mickey, you know, the sort of the silhouette with his hands on his um, hips. Oh, that's cool. That's a nice hat, too. Then, dear Lord, what else is in here? There's oh, another, oh, this was my lug coupon. I would shoved it in there So um, <laughs> after I used it. And then there is a game from the makers of Tapple. I had never heard of Tapple. But the flip it, name it word game, Tapple 10. So we have a box. I haven't opened it yet. But Tapple for- is very big right now. I haven't played, but I was doing some research and they are, the, the Tapple game is quite popular right now. Okay. I wonder what it is. And and then there's a Marvel stunt squad, Spider-Man versus Venom. It looks like it's a little thing where Venom is there standing in his lair and stunt and you catapult Spider-Man, who's this little catapult, and you send him flying to Venom. So um And there were different ones of those that particular toy in because we got two different ones between our two our two backpacks. Oh, okay. Which one did you get? I think Iron Man was one oh, of them. Oh, that's cool. And I think we may have gotten the Spider-Man one as well. And then from Sensi, oh my gosh, I can smell it through the container. From Sensi, it's a buddy clip, and I got Timothy Q. Mouse. I think everybody got Timothy. What's a buddy clip? 
So the idea was is, is you put it on a backpack. Or it's, it, it's kind of geared toward children. Mm, who, okay. But you can, you don't, it doesn't have to be, you could just set it out. Um, but it clips on a backpack or um, some other kind of bag. You could probably hang it from your rear view mirror if you wanted to. Um, but the, the scent clips, I think, are particularly geared toward younger people. Okay. So I put that on my backpack if I smell from a day in the, in, in the parks. Did you yes. get the Dumbo patch too? I don't know. I'm still going through this. Okay. I got a bag. I got a bag. It's a trick or treat bag, basically. Mickey and Friends trick or treats, and the Fab Five are on it in their little costumes, and it's from Disney Junior. So, but of course, when we went to the Halloween party, we got another bag. Gosh, just the one thing about lug is there's a ton of pockets in in these bags. Yes. So, what's oh, there's more stuff. I don't think I went through this one. Um, <laughs> let's see. Oh here! Oh here is from Stife. It looked like there was a little company. Uh, uh, you could save ten percent on it. Oh, it's a whole bunch of coupons. There's something from Joffrey's. They told me they make tea. I didn't know that. Here's something oh, from the socks, and um, and I got twenty three percent off their order. I got the oh the Dumbo patch is cute. Yeah, from D twenty three. Yeah, and then you got these great bookmarks. That you could get of the four artists that were selling their art that I named them. It's um, you have one of Brett Iwin, one of um, Dom Corona, and then one from um, Michelle St. Laurent. Hers was the Mickey Mouse Club, black and white. I like that one. That and was then nice. and then the Oswald one is Tim Rogerson, and so and you could also they had these at the um at their booths. You could pick them up. Then there's uh, it looks like stickers, Little Mermaid stickers. It, yeah, it that was kind of random. It didn't say who those were from. <laughs> yeah, Flounder, Sebastian, and then various sea creatures and all that. And then, um, let's see, then there was, oh, something to hold, I guess, your, your oh, a little plastic, a little rubbery thing that's labeled Destination D, and you can hold your, your gift cards and your credit cards in it. So that's nice. And did you yeah, get Mickey I, or Minnie? I got Mickey. Okay, and my backpack, well. my backpack is dark blue, too, just so people that I have stuff all around me now. Um, I think that's everything. Oh, there's another thing about the Disney Magic Band, how to use it and link it on your cruise. So I think that was everything in that pocket. But I, let's see. That's, I think that was everything. I'm looking at all that. So I have a couple other things on my list. I don't know if you got cheated. Oh, well, let's see. What is it? Well, there were these Lur- Lurcana cards, which is, they're like trading cards. And I, there were, there was a pack of those in there. And apparently they're the hottest thing right now. Yeah, I did not. They didn't give those to me because I was wondering what, I heard everybody talk about them. People wanted me to give mine to them and I didn't get them. Yeah, so I haven't opened them, but apparently there are certain ones people are searching for, and it's some kind of card trading game. And um, Ravensburger are the people behind it, and and so apparently there's not enough cards to meet demand. So people, they are highly sought after. Um, did you get the Oswald pin? I did. I forgot to mention that. Okay, it's right here. Yeah, Destination D twenty three. It's the event pin with Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. All right, so, so I think the only thing you missed are the cards. Yeah, I got a, and I don't know where I got this from, but and I shoved. Oh, it's from Lug. I think I got it because 
I bought something. It's a destination D23 luggage tag. And it's they sort of padded. To, they gave that to everybody walking out of the sessions. That's right. That was one of the, uh, and I threw it in there. But it's really cute. It says D23 on it, and it has Mickey. So I'll definitely use that. So, you know, you know, for a gift bag, that is pretty good. That's a lot of loot. In I there, agree. I, I mean, I was looking at the Lug website to try to see if I could find that backpack. And they don't have the exact colors that we have, but they have a backpack on their website that has, looks like it has the same amount of pockets and is very similar. And it's, it retails for 160. Oh my gosh. So I was like, wow. Okay. And then you add, you know, things like the magic band, which those retail for at least 45. And by my figuring, you know, it's at least a $200, maybe $250 worth of of gifts at, at face value, you know, obviously there's attachments we have from sentiment and, and things, but yeah, I was definitely a, I felt it was a very generous and, and, and represented a good amount of what you paid to attend the event. So I felt like we were definitely getting something for the cost and the cost did go up this year. Yeah. Oh yes, of course. Of course it did. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get into the day. And so, okay. so they had their welcome event and they, well, they started out showing a Walt Disney sort of sizzle reel of him talking and all that. And it was nice. So, And then they had some women come out who were dressed as the muses from the film Hercules. And there was a live band. And I think the lead muse, that was her band. Anyway, they were fantastic. I love the music from Hercules anyway, the, the gospel style music. They were, I thought they were terrific. And so then, um, so they came out and then Michael Jones Scott came out and he sang um, go the distance also from Hercules as well. And of course he's the, I think the genie on Broadway, Broadway's yes. Aladdin. And so, you know, his voice was fantastic. And then the muse, now the muses kept trying to somehow tie the songs from Hercules into Walt Disney. And I thought, well, okay, it's, this is a stretch. But then they, because I thought, okay, if you're going to do that, did you change the lyrics? But they didn't. So then they they sang Zero to Hero and Bless My Soul. So, and I thought it was a great opening act. It was simple, but it was it was a lot of fun. And they had great voices. Yeah, it was high energy. It definitely set the right tone. People were pumped up about it. And uh, and it didn't go on too long. It was, it was long yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Then Michael Vargo, the head of D23, came out and he welcomed everybody, talked about how D23 is celebrating the 100th anniversary of the company. He said this was um, the eighth destination, D23. I've been to all of them. I've been lucky to have done that. And uh, he he said they had members from all 50 states and 10 countries. And luckily this year, they did not give a gift that the international people could not redeem. I think they learned from their big old mistake last time. So, um, and then there was a video of Bob Iger and, uh, and everybody knows how I feel about him. Anyway, it was welcome to D23 members and talked about how they're carrying on the legacy of Walt and all that as he, you know, gets ready to sell the company to Apple, according to rumors, (laughs) unsubstantiated rumors. And then there was a video, there is a video of, Josh Demaro started out with Josh Demaro with Kermit the Frog and um, Gonzo and Scooter. It was if they they were backstage uh, and they were all you know getting everything ready. Scooter told them it was time for him to go out, and then um, 
And then what was cool is he then, Scooter tells him, okay, you need to go on stage. And then he walks out onto the stage. So that was really cool. And of course, he's the chairman of Disney Parks, Experiences, and Products, as we all know. So he talked about, and I'm hoping um, I can... I can read my writing here. Um, he talked about the previous um, sort of announcements that they made, like of Hong Kong Disneyland, you know, how the frozen area, they announced the opening of it, um, the Shanghai um, Zootopia area, and the Disney Cruise Line Disney Treasure that is coming out. And then um, they said, uh, um, Bob and Josh in emphasize there's few companies that had lasted a hundred years. And that of course is thanks in a large part to the fans. And then he said, everyone has their own Disney stories and what's special is the Disney magic and it connects all of us. And then they did sort of, um, it was like, a, a they had a number of, uh, he, he, they, he, there was a video sort of like a number of the 200. Ex- he said that they, Oh gosh, I'm trying to read my writing. They released 200 experiences in the last two years. Luckily, he didn't list them all. So, and then, and then he was, um, I mean, he said he was amazed to have Cosmic Rewind open to all attendees, um, at Epcot tonight. So that was very nice. And then he said next spring, Asaka, is that how you say her name? Soka? Soka. Asoka. Will be part of Star Tours, so she's going to be added in. I like that and they Galaxy's keep updating Edge. that. Yes, I think at Disneyland she may already be walking around Galaxy's Edge. I'm not, and, sure. and that's the point when they they handed out her her mouse ears to everybody. Yeah. yeah, and also they said Asha from Wish will be in the parks next year as well. And then, yeah, and they did hand out, and I have a photo of it on my Connecting with Walt Facebook page of me wearing it. They had Ahsoka ears and then a little crown thing, and then there's Mickey Mouse ears on top of it. So it was cute. So um, he said the next decade there will be more attractions, characters, uh, you know, lands, and he guaranteed, and, and he guaranteed this. I felt there was a lot of guaranteeing we're going to do things. And I don't know if it's because of the feedback they got from all the blue sky stuff at the D23 Expo, rumors that are around the interwebs about the difficulties the company's in right now or what. But I just felt throughout the event, throughout day one anyway, that was emphasized a lot. Absolutely. And, you know, but it is interesting because people have grown very cynical because people say, yeah, you know, I I saw some on some of the social media comments in some of the D23 groups about, you know, it's great. They guaranteed all this, you know, and how but how many years is it going to take? You know, meanwhile, Universal, you know, is is going to have their third gate open, you know, in, you know, in two years. And so I think people are excited but guarded about when will we see all of all of these things? Because it was a huge laundry list of, of, of wonderful, possibly wonderful things. But, you know, are they biting off more than they can chew? Well, it's like the last D23 Expo. How much of that stuff even got built that they said they were going to build? You know, so we'll see. Talked about, uh, of course, Tiana's Bayou Adventure will be rolling out in 2024. And then they did talk about a party that they had a once upon a wish party for Make-A-Wish children. 
that they had and and they had some pictures and and video of that which was really nice that disney does that and then he gave thanks to all the cast members they said that there are 170,000 cast members around the world and then he welcomed dave goltz and they're celebrating 50 years uh, of the muppet show and i thought oh my gosh was it that long and um and what Dave said, because they, um, Josh asked, how do you, uh, what, what do you attribute their, their success for and their popularity? And, and Dave said that, you know, he wants the characters to have fun and to have an internal life and that they have heart, which has made them popular for generations. And then Kermit and Miss Piggy came out on stage. And <laughs> that was terrific. Because it's interesting because, you know, they had a really good back and forth. Miss Piggy had to leave, of course, because she's preparing for her big musical number that no one else seemed to know about. And um, (laughs) so anyway, but uh, so that was just cute. And it's fun because, of course, when they come out, you see their, you know, their puppeteer, Muppeteers with them. So it's interesting to see how they work them. But the funny thing is, at least for me, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment or my belief that these are, you know, sort of real characters, even when you see the Muppeteers working it. No, and I, it makes you appreciate their, their talent because the way they have to hold their bodies to, to do the Muppets, it's very strenuous. Oh Um, yeah. They must take a lot of Advil or something. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) just having to keep your arms that straight. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of neat. I think the first time I saw that was the last D23 event. I, and I had never seen the kind of the behind the scenes of, of, you know, the, 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 the Muppet like that. And so, yeah, I think it's neat. It just makes me appreciate them more. Yeah, I agree with you. And then Josh said that there's incredible momentum in the parks uh, uh, for creating, you know, innovation. And then they talked to, they did a Hong Kong Disneyland, sort of a frozen sizzle reel. And they, um, they also talked about like the coaster that's going to be associated with it. Um, this is the, the, they'll have Arendelle there and the, they have um, the, the frozen attraction will be different from anywhere else. And then, the, and they showed sort of the concept art for the wandering Oaken's coaster, which to me looked remarkably similar to the seven dwarfs mind train at the magic kingdom. Yes. Yeah. And then he talked about Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. And, the, of course, the Haunted Mansion Hatbox Ghost. And Diane Joseph from um, WDI, Walt Disney Imagineering, came out. And Ga- and then my two favorite Muppets came out, um, Gonzo and Uncle Deadly. I love them. So, Actually, it was, Dan- it was Daniel Joseph. Let's just – Oh, I'm so- oh thank you. Yeah, <laughs> now I can see that now that you said Daniel but, Joseph. But you know it's interesting. So he anticipated the concerns about the Hatbox yeah. Ghost, but I don't know that he actually did anything to make us feel better. He just said he doesn't need the sympathetic vibrations. Yeah, because uh, – because they were asked – he was asked if the Hatbox Ghost makes it – 1000 happy haunts and they said no he was one of the original residents who who sort of disappeared after the haunted mansion was discovered and now that's true for disneyland so they're sort of rewriting the story for walt disney world and 
they said that he will um he will not wait for for madame leota to conjure him up because he is not a happy haunt and so because of that he can appear anywhere in the mansion and he will uh and he will appear in the mansion in late november and of course folks haven't heard he's going to be in the endless hallway where um before the séance scene in there so I don't know. It's they had to write something to explain. It's it. controversial <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I think it's still bad storytelling, but I guess it ties into the film, the the current haunted mansion film, sort of. Right. Some people might not have seen it, so I don't want to give too much away. But but he is he is in the film, so I think that much has been in the trailers and all that. Then they, they went haven't over to seen it. They'll be able to see it on October fourth. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. You know, to be honest with you, I didn't like the product placement, but I liked the film. I, I'll definitely watch it again when it comes out. I thought it had good heart. I thought I thought the characters and the the bonds that the characters formed in the movie mm-hmm. um, was very Disney esque. You know, yeah. and, and the the the, the storyline with the young boy and all of that. I, I thought that gave it a little extra something that, um, you know, wasn't, and then of course it, it did have the, the new Orleans feel to it, which was nice. And so I, yeah, I, we liked it too. Yeah. We'll watch yeah there it were a lot of Easter eggs to the mansions in there too, which is fun for fans of the attraction. So then they went over to Disney California adventure. So we got a little love, but um, then very <laughs> controversial over here at Disneyland about the announcements um they talked about avengers campus and you might remember when we talked about the d23 expo last year talked about the, a concept for the new ride so where um but now what they're doing is they're developing avengers campus at dca as it, it, it they're developing an idea for it to be the hub of the multiverse and that you can transport guests to new worlds and they showed the new ride vehicle for it and that was about it. They really didn't say too much. I think they showed the same um, concept art that they did at the D23 Expo for it. That okay. is all Disneyland got. And that is has a lot of people in California upset. Um, anyway, because, you know, there's so much that they're talking about that, that they're going to be doing. And they thought, well, you know, throw us a bone at least. And then Chris Beatty of Walt Disney Imagineering came out. And I think this surprised everybody. Um, Country Bear Jamboree, they are, they, the, our favorite bears are going to be preparing new songs and per- performing new songs and new acts. And so they, it's going to be more like a um, variety show with um, Nashville sounds. And one of the, again, we, we got a lot of loot, whatever you want to call it, during the course of the two days. One of the things we got when we left um, the session was we got a poster, uh, which is going to be the attraction poster for um, for the new attraction in there. So they did a preview of how, one of the songs they're going to sing is Bare Necessities. And they did a preview of it, but it's with a Nashville sound. I really liked it. What do you think, Anita? Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. You know, anything that can get people into that attraction um, and not just because it's air conditioned, but because 
they want to see those bears and, and they want to see the history. And I know there's some people who felt that some of the current songs were not as family friendly with some of the double entendre. So this seems to kind of, you know, move the attraction forward, maybe bring some new people in, gives it a new audience um, and makes it even more family friendly and continues to keep the Disney songs that people know and love in their ears, um, but just with different um, arrangements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the rumor that I've been told is that it was either this or they were shutting it down. So I am glad that they are giving us a new show to keep those bears alive. Because that was one of the last attractions Walt sort of gave an approval of when he saw Mark Davis's um, drawings and concepts for the bears. And, uh, and so I'm glad they're keeping that around. But then another Muppet came out. Fozzie Bear came out and said, did somebody say bears? And he told a couple of jokes, uh, you know, riffing on the word bear. And I didn't shot any of them down. I but, didn't either. Uh, yeah, but it was cute. It was in keeping with Fozzie. And if he was going to come out, that was the perfect time to do it. Then they um, they talked about Adventureland. They're developing a brand new um, uh, a brand new. Was it a restaurant or, or what were they doing it? But they're going to have the Barker Bird. Yeah, so it's going to be there. a Pirates of the Caribbean adjacent tavern. Mm-hmm. So pirates themed. Um, tavern that's going to feature the Barker bird. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's going to be a Walt Disney world. And then Shanghai, they um, showed um, Zootopia and they sort of showed a preview film of it, just showing, uh, you know, what that land might look like. And the attraction is called hot pursuit where our two heroes are chasing someone chasing a criminal or something through the land. So it looked cute. And then is it Scott? I can't read my last name. Scott, is it Malkowitz? And Kath and Katrika Rodriguez from Walt Disney Imagineering came out. Yeah, and, those are the Epcot people, right? Right, exactly. And so, and as they talked about, they said the Epcot World Celebration Area will open this December. And they, it, they said that it... Um, it sort of unites the front of the park with all the areas and the, the, the water, um, you know, the water, the Moana water area that um, will open on October 6th. What is it? Journey through water inspired by Moana or something. So yes. I think it's called, and we did get a preview of it that later that night. We'll talk about that. And then, and they said Moana will, it's going to open October 16th. This area. Moana will greet guests also beginning October 16th. And then more Muppets came out to entertain us. Sam the Eagle and Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. And they talked about the Muppet Brew um, Wing Lab at the Odyssey Restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. At the Odyssey Restaurant. And I don't know. The food looked a little too on the spicy side for me. But I'm glad they're using the Odyssey restaurant for something. And I, I, I think I heard, I don't know if they announced it here or all that, but they're, they're going to start tying it more into special events and festivals and things like that, um, rather than letting it sit empty. 
So, um, yeah, they kind of stepped on themselves here because they, they talked about Epcot and then we get a whole session on Epcot later. So I don't remember exactly when we heard all the Epcot things, but yes, they, they did talk about having a space for festivals. Um, I think as well later. Yeah. Yeah. And then the president of Walt Disney world, Jeff Vail, Vail came out and he announced a hundred people will receive a Disney dining card. I don't remember how they were distributing that. Or were you getting it by email? Yeah, they sent emails to people. Okay. All right. And then in World Showcase, he announced the new Nighttime Spectacular. That will debut December 5th. Um, Luminous, the Symphony of Us. And that was about all they said. (laughs) So anyway, so I'm looking forward to it. Because I like Nighttime Spectaculars. I think this was another one that surprised a lot of people. Chevrolet is sponsoring a reimagining of test track. And they said that it is going to be a throwback to the world of motion, which is very exciting. Did you experience world of motion, Anita? Uh, Remind me of what that was. It was the history of transportation. In no, a, in well, the a, first in time I went to Epcot, it, it was Test Track. The fir- like the first oh. year Test Track opened up, so I never got oh, okay. to go to the old one. You might have seen Craig. Who knows? <laughs> so, Quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and they said that um, t- a Test Track would also be open at the D23 event at Epcot that night. And then they had a Disneyland Paris preview film. They showed the Disneyland Hotel. They're transforming and re- and retheming it um, to princesses. And that will be completed in 2024. And then they are also going to um, add um, a tangled area. And they're also building a frozen um, area as well. And then Thomas uh, – oh, gosh, I can't read the writing. The president of Disney Signature Experiences – did you get Thomas Mann? I did uh, not get his name. Yeah. It, anyway, he talked about Disney Cruise Lines and the three new ships that are in development and a brand new island in the Bahamas that celebrates the artistry and tradition that um, uh, of that nation. And then it's going to be called Lookout Key at Lighthouse Point because everything now has to have a whole lot of words in it. So um, anyway, <laughs> so on June 6th, there'll be a preview on the Disney Wish and they um, it'll be a three day um, sailing out of Fort Lauderdale to Lookout Key in there. Then they talked about the Disney treasure and they showed photo of the ship's construction. And it's the first ship for um, Singapore. They said that we'll sort of cruise through Southeast Asia and that is going to be the Disney adventure. You might remember um, Disney purchased this ship after a shipyard um, went bankrupt. And so Disney purchased it. It looks nothing like any of the other Disney ships in the fleet and all that. So, um, but that's exciting to, to see. And then, um, and then they said that they're going to celebrate Disney. It, oh, Disney adventure will celebrate Disney, Pixar, and Marvel on that ship. And then one fan received a free vacation on the Disney Adventure. So, and then we all received, as part of our swag uh, at the end of the session, we received a um, 
sort of commemorative print of a map celebrating the Disney adventures, if it's an island. And, and it's a cool little map. So Yes. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about... Um, Tokyo Disney Sea, they're they're having a huge expansion called Fantasy um, Springs, and they're going to have a Peter Pan area, and they're um, also going to have Rapunzel's um, Forest. There'll be a, a water ride there, and they'll have the Snuggly Duckling there, and then there is also um, I think um, Arendelle is going to be there as well, and they're going to have oh, uh, and also in. The, the Peter Pan's um, area, they're going to have um, Peter Pan's um, Neverland Adventure, where I think he's sort of battling it out with Captain Hook in there. Frozen, they're going to have Anna and Elsa's Frozen Adventure, and it's going to be different from any of the other Frozen attractions. And there will be a Fantasy Springs Hotel. So it's letting me know, hey, I think I need to revisit some of these parks someday. And then... Um, and then Animal joined the live band on stage and he and they sang Can You Picture That? He played it with the band in there. And then they had um the next one was The Future of Disney Parks with Bruce Vaughn. And they had and he's the Walt Disney Imagineering Chief Creative Officer. And he talked about the blue sky process and how it's vital to creating. Um, experiences. They talked a lot about Bruce Vaughn returning. There was a lot of emphasis on that. There was. Yeah. And then the Magic Kingdom, they said the Magic Kingdom's about to go into overdrive. And they alluded to, again, all those blue sky ideas that were announced at D23. So Animal Kingdom, there is going to be a new show for the Tree of Life. We're going to say goodbye to our bug friends, and we are going to welcome our Zootopia friends in that tree. The Dinoland USA area um, is is now is going to be completely replaced, and it's going to focus on areas of South America and Central America, and because those are the most biodiverse areas on the planet, and it they said they will have an authentic look to it and experiences, and it's going to include an Encanto area, and then an Indiana Jones area, which at first surprised me until I realized well you know what dinosaur is sort of is is almost a, the building is almost a duplicate of our Indiana Jones attraction at Disneyland. So it makes sense. They can they can retheme it, you know, and reimagine it to be maybe an Indiana Jones attraction. Yeah, so they used, they used a term I'd never heard before referring they called it the tropical Americas. Yes. Yeah. So um so I'm looking forward to that. Anything to get rid of Dinoland. Yeah. So um there's not a lot going on there anymore. And then they talked about how um, Walt Disney Imagineering works with the storytellers at the Walt Disney Studio to extend the stories into the park. So they said that they, they will have some projects, um, you know, in development over the next 10 years, um, more than at any other time in, um, in their history of the company. And they said the best, um, the best Disney is yet to come. So anyway, and then Dave Goltz um, had, 
has a connection to Figment they talked about, who then came out on stage. And he was going to begin the next day um, giving, you know, appearing at Journey into Imagination. And then we got a gift of... um, this this fi- it was on our chairs, but we got a gift of this figment sort of Funko type of figurine. So in a box. So um, anyway, so yeah, it, it doesn't really look as it much look- like figment as I would like. He's got almost like baby figment or something. I don't. Yeah, know. yeah, I think you're right. Uh, if if you you would have to have told me it's figment for me to know it's figment. So, but it's cute. It was a bear getting into the suitcase, though. And then, uh, and then, <laughs> and then we had a sing along called um, "One Little Spark." We all sang it together, and that was fun. So, and so, anything else you wanted to add before we get into the next session? No, I think that that covered. That takes us, I think, to the early. Yeah, yeah, the early years with Ub Oswald and Mickey. And um, Michael Vargo sort of did a – he came out and did a recap of the sessions that were coming. And we got – they talked about the Disney the, – the next D23 magazine that was coming out that I got – that was had been delivered when I was there at D23. And they were talking about that there was special edition for gold member. There was two covers. Um, there was Sorcerer Mickey designed by Brett Iwin and he came out on stage and there's a QR code that you can scan and it comes to life. And, and then we all got a copy of the magazine as well. So we have two copies because there's two different covers apparently for it. I didn't, I haven't opened the one that came in the mail to see. And they also unveiled on it. And they talked about how Mick. I'm sorry. What was that? Okay. Um, and sorry, then- I didn't mean to step on you. Um, did you mention that they that they also showed how that Brett painted the ninety the ninety fifth portrait? Yeah. Yeah, that's the next thing. Yeah, um, Mickey Mouse is celebrating his 95th year, and he will paint. Um, he painted Mickey's 95th birthday portrait, and they unveiled it. And it was Sorcerer Mickey, and it's called, it's titled Swept Up in the Magic. So, and it, it shows how at the bottom it starts with a single pencil line. Um, all the way up to drawing Mickey and then to the pixie dust with Mickey Mouse looking to the future with the, at the wishing star. What did you think of this portrait? I thought it was beautiful and I was hoping that they were going to give us a I print of it. <laughs> I was too. It is really good. It is one of the best portraits of Mickey that I've seen. I didn't care for the last one they did very much or, you know, he was floating above the globe you know, globe of the world right. and all that. I don't know why I didn't like that, but as much, this one is terrific. And I sure hope they sell prints of it, but you're right. I was hoping we were going to get a little, little print. And the last one, it was one of the, they put it in the magazine. If I, I was a back cover, I think, or a front cover. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's how we'll see this one. I can't imagine that he painted it not to be seen. So hopefully we, we there is some opportunity where we either get it sent to us as part of the magazine or we can buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. 
And then they talked about, remember the Disney 100 exhibition that you and I and, and Chris, your husband, saw in yes. Philadelphia together. It's traveling to Chicago. And they said everyone will get a free ticket via email. Mine arrived. And you have until you-, you have until September 30th to redeem it. So Did you click on the link? Not yet. So you have until September 30th to redeem it. And you have to plan to go to Chicago in November or December. Oh, of this year? Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's, the, only, that's the only dates that came up. That's lousy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you have to know it by the end of September that you're going to go and when you're going to go. So I'm yeah. not sure there's going to be a lot of redemptions uh, unless you live in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I will. I do plan to go to Chicago next year as part of my Marceline trip and all that that I'm hoping to do. So I'm sure I'll see it again. But um, that's yeah, just not free. <laughs> yeah. And then um, and then they talked about in October, there will be the D23 Royal Anniversary Ball at um, the Walt Disney Studios to celebrate the 100th um, anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. And that's already been announced. And I got an email for it. Unfortunately, it's well, I'm going on a cruise during that time that they're holding it. So I won't be able to attend. And then they talked about how it's D23's 15th anniversary in 2024. So, you know, everybody was sort of wondering, is there going to be a D23 Expo next year with all the issues with the company and layoffs and things like that? Well, the D23 Expo is sort of rebranded and it's going to be D23, the ultimate fan event. And the official dates for it are August 9th to the 11th, 2024. But Thursday, August 8th, they're going to kick it off at Disneyland. And then there's, there's going to be larger, there's going to be a larger event at multiple locations this time. It's not just going to be at the Anaheim Convention Center. They said the big stage will be at the Honda Center in the evening. So I wonder, are they going to have shuttle buses or or what? And they're going to kick it off Sunday, August 4th. It's going to be D23 Day at the Angels versus Mets game. And tickets will go on sale next spring. So this is going to be interesting. Are you thinking of attending, Anita? Uh, I feel like that's just a little too much line standing and yeah. um, it sounds exhausting to me. I would, I think I would enjoy it. But what I like about destination D 23 is that no matter what time you walk in the room, there's a seat available for you and it's one track. You don't have to make choices. You don't have to worry about getting missing, missing something that you want to see. So probably we'll just listen to your recap on it next year. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'll get to go. Hopefully I'll get a ticket. It gets hard. Then they showed a clip of the Alice comedies. It was the Alice in Cartoon Land, which was the first one. And then Becky Klein, of course, who is the head of Walt Disney Archives, came out. And so um, she talked about – and actually, I've a lot of this we've talked about on the previous show. Becky did. Um, we had Leslie Iwerks on – or well, I talked about um, from the Walt Disney Family Museum a while back, a presentation Leslie did. So a lot of this was a recap of all of that. So um, they talked about how Ub and Walt 
Um, because uh, Leslie Irox did come out on stage as well. And they talked about how UB is integral to the history of the Walt Disney Company. Though, and they talked about how UB and Walt met at the Kansas City Film Company, became friends in 1918 when they were teenagers. And UB was technically oriented. And Walt was the storyteller. So they were a great combination. So they first started the iWorks um, Disney company because at first they thought Disney iWorks, but they thought it sounded too much like an optical company. <laughs> and then um, Walt was uh, Walt was practicing his name. Did he want to be called Walter Disney, Walt Disney, Walter Elias Disney and all that. And Ub said he liked Walt Disney because it was short and said that if Walt chose that, Ub Iwerks would shorten his name, which he did when he came to California, because his name was originally spelled U-B-B-E-I-W-W-E-R-K-S. So he changed it to Ub and Iwerks with one W in there. But Walt always called him Ubby. That I didn't know, actually. <laughs> so, um, so Walt, they said, was into sort of the... Um, or Ub was into the mechanics and everything that moved. So he could take, like they said, even like when he was older, he would could take apart a car engine and completely rebuild it. And it would work. Um, so Walt, you know, joined the Disney Brothers Studios um, in order to, he started it with his brother in order to work on the Alice comedies. So um, Ub then, or Walt wrote Ub, telling him to come to California. And Ub's father had abandoned the family, and, and and so Ub had to quit high school to care for his mother. So Ub came to California. He drove out Alice Davis's family's Cadillac to California. And Alice Davis, you might remember, was the Alice in the Alice comedies. And so he, what was cool is he took photos of his, old tr- his whole trip out west so they showed some of those photos like driving on dirt roads and all of that to get to california a completely different experience so it was cool to see that and then ub um, met mildred his future wife and um they and um so on the weekends walt and mildred uh, walt and lillian and ub and mildred they would just go on weekend road trips together and so Walt gave them um, gold-stemmed um, glassware for their wedding. And Leslie said that she still has it. And they, you know, bring it out for Thanksgiving and Christmas, things like that. And she said, and you're dead if you break one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, then Oswald came along after, uh, and then Walt lost him um, and he lost his animators. So, as part of that, when Charles Mintz was hiring the animators away, they made an offer to Ub to leave, but he wouldn't abandon Walt. But um, Ub was also devastated about losing Oswald in that. So Ub was determined to work with Walt to create a character that they owned. So um, so Ub would, came up with characters that um, – you know, when he heard about the loss of Oswald. So, you know, Walt was coming up with ideas. Ub was coming up ideas. He came up with an idea for a mouse. Um, he also, a horse that would become Horace Horse Collar, and then a frog that would be called, become Flip the Frog when Ub left the Disney company for a short time and started his own studio. Flip the Frog 
was the character he created and animated. Um, Walt chose the mouse and he worked with um, Ub to refine um, the mouse. And then, um, and then they, the one thing they said, plain crazy that, Ub, you know, animated it said it, that shows Ub's quirky sense of humor in that. Of course, that was a tribute to um, Charles Lindbergh in there. Cause everybody had the Lindbergh craze at the time. And then, uh, and then, but Ub was the kind of person he would accomplish something and then he would move on. So, you know, so did it, I'm done. And he, he wouldn't look back. So he left the company for 10 years, came back in the 1940s and he developed the multi-plane camera, the, the, the sodium um, film process that I talked about uh, a few weeks ago. And also um, Circarama he developed they might remember, you know, like America the Beautiful, things like that. Also, he developed um, Xerox for character animation, and and which we saw in 101 Dalmatians, and that re- that was that revolutionized animation completely. So, y- if you look at the credits in a lot of Disney films, you're going to see um, Ub get credit for special processes in those films. And he was even lent out to um, Alfred Hitchcock to work on the birds, which, which some folks know I have a connection to. And, and then um, Leslie Iwerks uh, wrote, you created the film, the hand behind the mouse and also the book about her, her grandfather. And that was greenlit by Roy E. Disney. So Ub was named a, Disney legend, and he has a window on Main Street at um, Disneyland in there. And then they they showed um, a clip from Mickey Mouse from the Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse shorts and all that as well in there. So um, so that was pretty much it for that presentation. Did I leave anything out? No. The only thing I wrote down that made me chuckle when you, you were talking about how he restored cars, which he also said he once bowled a perfect game and then he never bowled again. Yeah. Yeah. He put you the know, bowling so, ball in the closet. <laughs> right. He was done. You know, he, he accomplished what he wanted to do with that. But I, I think she has done a wonderful job of escalating her grandfather's importance to the company mm-hmm. and, and, and the, making people realize that we would not have so much of what we have in the Disney legacy, if he hadn't been an integral part of the studio. And, and so I, I think that that's important for people who attend this kind of event to, to understand, to have that name recognition um, as we do with Walt and Roy. And so I enjoyed that session very much. I thought it was, it, it had a lot of heart. I loved the picture that she posted of her as a baby with him and how he was a proud grandfather because, you know, he sounds like he was a genius, but she humanized his genius um, in the same way that when we see pictures of Walt with his family and his children, it humanizes and makes them, makes them very normal, even though they were quite extraordinary in their capabilities. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. So. And then um, Ashley Eckstein came out because, of course, it's not a Disney event without her. <laughs> and um, she was in the most sparkly pantsuit I ever saw in my life. I don't know how she moved in it, so, but it was quite impressive. 
And so she introduced the next session and sort of hosted it, classic characters and stories panels. So included in that was Bill Farmer, who's the voice of Goofy and Pluto, Brett Iwen, who of course is the official voice of Mickey Mouse, um, Caitlin um, Roderick, who's the, now the voice of Minnie Mouse. And they talked about how part of making a character iconic is the voices. And of course they said, no one is more iconic than Mickey Mouse. Brett is a big fan and feels the um, pressure of responsibility because these characters have a legacy and he's part of preserving that legacy. And then um, he said that he is just only filling in for the boss, Walt Disney, but there's also a joy and fun to um, carrying on that legacy. Bill has been um, voicing Goofy and Pluto for over four decades. And he said, um, over the years, you have to sort of mold yourself into the character and make it your own while, again, while preserving the legacy. And he said Goofy was always his favorite. And he became the voice of Pluto on a film. And I, I talked about this a few weeks ago when I met him at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Um, you know, in Mickey's doggone holiday, he was asked if he could bark. And they asked a few people if they could bark, but his bark was the one that they chose. And so that was his audition. He was just on the spot. They needed Pluto to bark. He got the job. Now, um, Caitlin, who's the voice of Minnie Mouse, she said, this is a dream come true. Um, she said um, the first time she saw Minnie Mouse was in Totally Minnie. And then she worked in Disneyland for two decades and saw what, <clears throat> excuse me, saw what Minnie Mouse meant to people. And so she, uh, she sort of um, mimicked, before she got the job, she would mimic um mimic Minnie Mouse and, and voices from the different Disneyland um, characters. And so she sort of kept practicing and she was doing this all secretly. She was practicing her voice until she auditioned for the job. And then Brett says that they are character ambassadors. And Brett also designs park merchandise, as we know. And he is um, currently working on a deal with Disney publishing, but of course he couldn't talk about it. So, uh, so that, that'll be interesting to see what comes of that. And then Bill says he warms up his voice by singing in the car and, um, and sort of practicing to be like a baseball announcer or something in order to warm up. Cause they were asked, um, how do you prepare to do the voices? Brett says he does a lot of weird noises and he sings along in the car ride to the studio. And of course he sings in Mickey Mouse's voice. Caitlin said that she listens to songs on the radio and she does this sort of goose sound to make sure that Minnie is there, that she can find her voice. And then more folks came out. We had Jody Benson, who, of course, is the voice of Ariel, and she's been to many Diz Unplugged events. And then um, Don Hahn came out. And, of course, and then Jody told her story that we've heard before. She was on a Broadway show in Smile, which she said closed after a review. And then Howard Ash, um, a Ashman um, wrote a song for her called Disneyland. 
And so um, it closed again, and like I said. And then he um, asked some of the cast to audition for Ariel. She felt it was just sort of a sympathy, ca- you know, <laughs> for, for him because the show closed so early. And then a le- year later, she got a page, and it says, call your agent. And she called and was told that she had uh, she had won Ariel. And then um, when the film came out and she saw the reaction that it was a hit, uh, she she was asked to go on a tour to 22 cities in 22 days. And her life was changed. She said before, you know, you didn't really know who voiced these characters. But now, of course, everybody knows who voices the characters. And she said Howard Ashman was funny. He had a huge knowledge of Broadway. He was brilliant. He was shy. She said he was 20 years ahead of his time. And Howard was in the recording booth with Jody. And so she said everything is was due to the brilliance of Howard Ashman. And she said he transformed the way animation works. And then this is a nice treat because I always wondered what happened to him. Anthony Gonzalez, he was the voice of Miguel in Coco. And he, uh, of course, he's bigger now and has a much deeper voice than Miguel. And um, he grew up a fan of Disney and Pixar and feels just blessed to be a part of the film that celebrates um, Mexican culture. And he said he and Miguel have many similarities and his, including his passion for music. But he said, unlike Miguel, his family supported his singing and acting and, and he would do street performances with his siblings. I know his younger brother for a while voiced Miguel when, um, when, um, Anthony's voice changed. And so, um, his younger brother did it. So for other, other projects. And so he said to to prep, he doesn't do any dairy in order to keep his voice clear. And he still has um, the ornament from the Pixar store that he was sent that um, let him know he got the job. And on the ornament, it says you got the part. So he still hangs it on his tree every year. Then they, um, then, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this one, Anita. I felt this... (laughs) This next thing sort of went a little long. They talked about how, you know, when you do a sit down, you first did, you do the first read of a script or something, you're doing it cold. And so they all teamed up. They brought out Michael Jones Scott and they did a, a sort of a cold table rec- read from different lines of the Disney parks. I would have enjoyed it if it had gone maybe five minutes, this went on for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. They, you know, they, they said everybody, when you do it, when you're a vocal actor, you may play up to three different parts for something. So I think they were trying to establish that they were all going to talk multiple times. It was not cold. Everybody knows it was rehearsed. So that's the, the, don't even pretend, but yes, I agree. If it had been, everybody showing off for 30 seconds or 40 seconds and being able to highlight, but it went on and on and on and they were already over time Mm -hmm. and people were lining up to get out because people had made lunch reservations, including us. And 
to compound it, when if you went to the door, they were trying to hold the aisle for fire purposes. That's fine. But then if you went, try to get out early, they said, you're not going to get all the stuff we, all the giveaway stuff that we have been talking about here. So people yeah. are just waiting. And, and yeah, I felt like it, it, to me, it became a show of ego toward the end. It just went, it, because it went on so long and somebody should have had the wisdom to say, you know, this should be five minutes max. And, 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 that's it. And instead, as you said, it was like a trip down memory lane of extinct extra, uh, attractions. And because I stopped, I tuned out after a while because I was waiting to go, you know, to get out as quick as I could. So yeah, it was one of those things where it, it's to me, it felt disrespectful of our time by the end. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you in that one as well. So, um, so anyway, so for um, at when we came back. There was a, um, there was Don Hahn came back and he, in he introduced a topic of nature. He said, Walt loved nature and animals and how he made the, um, and then of course Don Hahn made the Disney nature films. And then Roy E. Disney, um, loved the, um, natural world. And he started out working, um, for the True Life Adventures, um, films. And then they had a clip of Roy Disney. And there's, and then this is a story that's been told many times, and I've told it on the show. For the Vanishing Prairie, they had it's the duck story, and how they had all of this. Um, and and Don has made a film of this that he's shown many times. How they they had a scene of a duck. There were a group of ducks. And then they had the scene of a duck flying in, landing on the frozen lake, and sliding towards the group of ducks, and then. What happened was they, um, th it stops. The film ended. So you didn't get the payoff of what happened when the duck, you know, slid into the group of ducks. So they used, as they were showing Walt uh, clips for the vanishing prairie, they used this clip and he said, well, where's the payoff? Where, where is, um, you know, where did the duck? you know, where, where's that clip of the duck hitting the group? And they said, oh, we, we don't have it. And Walt said, no, I know I saw it. I saw it. I know you have it. You need to find it. So they looked through films, of all the films, miles and miles of film. And of course, it wasn't there. And so again, as they show him the next version of The Vanishing Prairie, well, that duck clip is still in there. And Walt sees it and, you know, his eyebrow goes up and says, where's where is the duck film? Where's the ending, the payoff for that? And I said, well, we've looked, we don't have, he says, you have it. I have seen it. So they ended up, I think they went up to Canada and they found, uh, they found a group of ducks. They actually grabbed a duck and they, they filmed all this and they slid them into the group of ducks. Well, they did it over and over and over again to the point that when the ducks see him, sliding into them they all just start turning and looking he said they started got shell shocked for it well and then they filmed it and then at for the next clip of the uh of um the nate the, the vanishing prairie they had it in there there is the ending of the duck crashing into the flock of ducks and they filmed it from every angle so they showed it over and over again. And Walt said, see, I knew you had the film. And they said they knew all along he was really telling them 
go out and film that for the end of that sequence. Cause that was the big funny payoff for it. I thought it was great how they edited Roy Disney telling the story about the ducks, the actual footage of the ducks, and then these various reaction shots of Walt that were, he didn't say anything, but they just had different expressions, but it captured the, the, you know, expectation that he had about the ducks. I thought that was great. It made me laugh. It was, it was very clever. I've seen it so many times, but you know, it never gets old. So, um, so I enjoyed that in there. Okay. The next thing, let's see, what else did they do? Oh, they then brought out Brian Scary, who for Nat Geo Films, National Geographic Films, and they talked about uh, the um, the uh, a series on on National Geographic right now, Disney Plus, Secrets of the Whales, and they talked about how for centuries humans have been fascinated by whales. They are very similar and different um, from us. This is it was a three year project based on whale culture. And he said they do things differently based on where they are located and how they were raised. So he showed the um, series um, Disney Plus trailer for us. And then he said, um, behavior is what we do, like we use utensils, but culture is how we do it, such as in some cultures they use chopsticks and in other cultures like ours, we use forks. So he said, whales are the same. They they have food preferences, singing contests. Um, they have fav- favorite places to visit. And he said, understanding this can affect how we relate to nature. So he said, humpback whales are probably best known for their songs. And he said, it's the male that does the singing. And, um, and he invents the songs. They invent the songs themselves. When they do it, they invert themselves. And then they spend 20 or 25 minutes singing their song. And they used to think it was a mating call, but they know, but studies have shown that less than 1% mated with a female due to the song, which I thought was interesting. And they changed the, the songs change each year. So he said, like humpbacks gather near Australia. And they have a singing competition. And the best one is then shared with the whales around the world. So and I didn't know any of this. I thought this was amazing. And then they, they had a clip of um, a whale mother and her calf and showing their bond together, their affection for each other, how and um, how the mother protects the, the calf and all of that. So it, it was very touching. And then he said sperm whales live in family groups led by mature females and they feed, um, they feed most of the day and they were sort of labeled as an antagonist in Moby Dick. But actually they're, um, he didn't mention Pinocchio. Um, but actually, um, right. they're very shy and gentle and, um, they have, and they're very social and they have the largest brain of any animal on earth. And they said that all family groups speak the same language like a clan. And so that's why they don't intermingle with whales who have a different language. So, and they said adult females will babysit the calves, um, when, when mothers are feeding at lower depths. 
And then they, they showed a clip of a mother and calf um, nursing. And then he talked about killer whales. And he said that they focused on the feeding strategies in the series for them. And the feed, what they feed on is sort of based where they live. And they said in the Arctic, the killer whales developed a tooth for, um, for stingrays, a, a taste for stingrays. And they said that, um, the females will sort of, um, will, will group them and gather them up. But in another place in New Zealand, the whales developed, I'm sorry, in the Arctic, they developed a taste for seals. And then in New Zealand, they developed a taste for stingrays. So, um, and then they talked about the beluga whale. And they, uh, and then they, um, how they live in the high Arctic, um, in the winters. And then they might, um, travel hundreds of miles in the summer. And then they focused on a group, um, maternity ward and how calves are darker and ride on the backs of their whales. And Canada prohibits, um, diving so with the whales so he developed a remote underwater camera so that they could film them and they filmed um gameplay of of the um whales in there and then how they play with rocks and all that and he talked a little about that then they showed up so he was done and this got me to want to actually watch the series so um yeah, same here. We have it on our list to watch when we get yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to look that one up in there. So then the next thing was they showed a clip from Mickey's um, Shipbuilders, and they brought out the Hong Kong Disneyland Resort ambassadors. And what they sort of started doing was they started to use the all the ambassadors were there from around the world, and they sort of started to use them as um, introducing different um different scenes and things sections and things like that so they talked about the world to frozen with the two new adventures and um they and they and then they introduced the disney cruise line sort of silver 25th anniversary and introduced diego paris and um pam rollins came out they're the executive producer for disney cruise lines and then they um they showed um, the early concepts for the Disney Cruise Line ships when they, you know, and some of them are very futuristic and there are all kinds of things. Some are very comedic or based on characters or something like that. But then Michael Eisner had fond memories of watching his grandparents sail off on the Queen Mary. And he took, Michael Eisner took the last sort of sailing on the SS Mauritania before it was decommissioned and, or retired. And he liked, um, he liked the classic ocean liner experience. And that ultimately led to the design, you know, that we saw in the wonder and the magic that's been carried on to other ships with that long bow, you know, and this two steam, steam stacks and things like that. Right. And they talked about how Walt and Lillian also enjoyed um, vacations on ocean liners as well. And then they had, um, the second round of concepts and designing the details of the ship, Mickey Mouse was incorporated into it. It had the exaggerated bridge, the classic funnels, an elongated bow line, like I mentioned. They said that it gave it a um, modern, elegant look. 
So then they arrived at the final design of the Disney Magic. And so the ship was designed with families in mind. And also they had, you know, experiences for families like fireworks at sea and um, rot- rotational dining. And they, and they also talked about, you know, the theaters that they made and the, with Broadway style shows. And then, of course, the private island castaway key and all that and they talk again they talked about the um the great hall and uh, the characters um you know the characters stories sort of begin in there with the statues of the characters in the great hall in there and then they had all kinds of people come out from wdi they had pete um I think Leathers, Jason Roberts, Jay, I'm going to mispronounce some of these names. Jay, Ab- Ab- uh, how would you say that? Abruzzi. Yeah, that sounds good. Alexis um, uh, Cannons, I think, and then Diego Cummins. Cummins. Thank you. I can't read my writing. I wrote so fast and in the dark. Um, Diego Paris, he was the moderator. Philip, um, do you want to give a shot at that name? Anita? Thank you. And then Kristen um, Ziegler. And they talked, you know, they talked about designing the ship. You know, where do you start? And they said designing is um, very unique and complex to build a cruise ship. So they build it in blocks and then they put it all together and they showed some clips of that. So it's built indoors in a huge building. They said where you could fly a 747 through the building. It's so large. And they do this also because the construction is unaffected by the weather. And they said each block had a model built out of wood. So to use as a reference in building those real blocks of the ship. And they said um, at Disney Cruise Lines, they can unlock stories from the their Disney treasure chest, and they can be subtle or playful. But everything is tied into a motif. Um to for the storytelling and like i said the and that includes the grand hall characters and even the characters that are on the stern of the ships and they said that the scope and scale of the ships are amazing um because basically they you know they're they're like a hotel and 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 the theaters and it's all distilled into the ship's theme and they said it's very different from a land-based project and and also they get to live on the ship for an extended period of time as it gets built. And they said all types of technologies incorporated in order to bring the um, ships to life. And then um, graphic designers work on everything from the hull art to the um, to the menus. They said that forty thousand um, pieces were created. Um, by the graphic designers and that that includes things like the stateroom blankets the theater design i mean everything you can think of is done by the graphic designers and then they work with multiple stories within the ship so like on on animators palette they said that you can um there are 1000 on the disney magic there are 1000 props that they've added there. So the next time you're on that ship, you count them, see if you can find them all. And actually, Michael, that was just 1000 props in one restaurant. Uh Yeah. Animators palette in that restaurant. That's amazing. Yeah. 
And they talked about how paint helps to tell the story as well, the colors of the ship and the colors in the various areas of the ship. And they said that the drips go, the, the drips, the ships go in the dry dock every couple of years for updates. And sometimes they replace whole areas like the kids clubs. And so they work 24 hours a day for weeks. They live on the ship when it's in dry dock and they basically do two years of planning for 10 days of work. And then they said what sets, um, DCL apart is attention to detail, including, you know, the, um, you know, everything in, in all the different rooms. And, uh, and they, they included, um, porg poop in the, um, porg room. I don't know where that is on the ship, but, um, anyway, they had to figure out, okay, what does pork poop look like? And they designed it. Um, the overall look of the ship also with the elegant curves is part is sets the cruise line apart. And they said they want to create emotions through the design and storytelling. And then they showed, um, a clip from national, from Nat Geo. They did, um, a, a episode on building the um, Disney magic. So they showed that clip in there. So anything else that I left out about the Disney cruise line presentation? No, those were all the same notes that I had. The only thing I would say about that, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be critical is I f- feel like part of the issues with a lot of these panels is they would ask the same panelist you would ask everybody the same question. So you got into a lot of long answers and everybody got to talk, which was great, but I felt like this was a great session, but it ran a little bit long Mm -hmm. like so many of the other ones did. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely had a time issue with those. Then we had an introduction by the Disneyland Paris ambassadors. And then we had, um, Oh, I know I'm going to mispronounce this name. CB Sebluski. Sobolski? Sobolski. Yeah, he's the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. And so he talked about, he basically went through a history of the comic book. So starting with Secret of the Avengers. In the 1960s, in 1963 specifically, Avenger number one came, it came together by accident. Because you have to book time. To, on presses and they were wanting to do daredevil number one but it was running late so they thought but they had already booked the time on the presses so they needed to run something so they um they had a week to put together something in print so stanley had an idea to put all the characters they had created into one book and that was thor iron man um ant-man um the wasp and hulk and then Avengers number four is when Captain America was created by Joe Simon. And this was during World War II. So after the war ended, he sort of got phased out. And they tried to bring Captain America back in the 50s, but they said it didn't work. So although I know it was even when I was a little boy, there were Captain America comic books around because I he was my favorite superhero. And they said that Buck Rogers was popular. And so Stanley wanted to create sort of a man out of time. And he brought back Captain America as a man out of time. Um, but of course it was out of time for 13 years in there. And they said Kang was introduced a couple of months later. And apparently he is going to be a major character in the upcoming films. And then they, 
then fans started complaining that the characters had their they all had their own comic books, their own sort of timelines and all that. And they said that the stories, you know, would conflict with each other. So in Avengers number 16, they, um, Stanley chose three heroes and three villains whose stories didn't conflict. And that included, you know, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in there. I didn't get all the other characters he had named. So I don't know if you have. Yeah, it was a yeah. lot. Yeah, there was six of them there. In issue 52, Black Panther was introduced. In number 57, The Vision was introduced. Now, he had started out as an old alien character before um, the Marvel characters, but they wanted a cold, calculating character like Mr. Spock from Star Trek. So they changed Vision to be an android, but they talked about how they didn't tell the artists that they were changing Vision. So in this comic book, he appeared as the old alien character with red clothes and cape and all that and then in the then in the subsequent books it it was the vision that was an android so um then in 1960s the marvel they had a marvel superhero show where it would show a different character every day of the week monday through friday i remember that one and then in 1970s issue number 96 different aliens were brought together to fight the um Avengers on Earth. Thanos was introduced in the 70s, as were the Guardians of the Galaxy. In issue number 183, Carol Danvers is introduced as Mrs. Marvel. And in the 80s, we see we meet Monica Rambeau, both of whom are going to be important in the upcoming The Marvels film. In the 80s were the Secret Wars, in which every... Um, Marvel character fought every villain. And this is when we saw Spider-Man in the black costume and um, Venom ultimately came out of all this. And then in the nineties, they, when they drew the characters, they all had these huge muscles and all that with bulging veins and everything. And then in um, the two thousands, the Kang dynasty was, um, was coming up and that's when the second of course the we saw the second coming of avenger movies and the titles and all that then they had the um ultimates that inspired i think it was, was it the ultimates is that what i wrote yeah it was yeah the and they inspired the first films that series and then there was the who will be the next avenger and that was um always in the comics they would they would have who will be the next Avenger? And that's when you would find out who, uh, where they did, how they'd introduce new characters. Then they had Avenger Civil War. There were seven editions of that story, and that inspired the film, of course. The 2010s, we saw Infinity War, Endgames, more TV shows, a lot of action figures. And the 2020s, um, the Avengers um, comics restarted with Captain Marvel as the leader in there. And then they brought out Ryan Ting and he's with um has the Hasbro Marvel Legends team and I guess they make figures of the different um superheroes. So he brought out the largest figure that they've made, Giant Man. Giant Man who's Hank Pym um figure. It has 91 points of articulation, three interchangeable face plates. Um, it has a zombie faceplate. And, um, then they talked about like the, 
I didn't know what they were talking about in here. Maybe you did. The first tier unlock is the scroll head. The second tier unlock is that. And then they said is, is the scroll head is the second team tier unlock. The zombie face. I don't have any notes on that. Tier. Pardon me? Oh, yeah. Um, right. I, I mean, I you can change his face. No. I don't know about the, the tier elements, but yeah, they just show that you could make him happy or neutral yeah. or angry. And then they said, check your email because 60 attendees will get a figure to celebrate the 60th anniversary. I didn't um, notice that. And then I didn't get one I don't, that I haven't seen anyway. And then they said there was, uh, then the next thing was they showed a film about audio animatronic figures and Leslie Iwerks, who, um, who of course is the filmmaker who has the series on Imagineering on Disney plus. She came out for the session magic in every medium, 100 years of innovation. And then also, um, Carl Hansen and Daniel Joseph from WED came back out again. They talked about, you know, how did you get your job in Imagineering? Carl said he was college-aged to the intern program. Daniel said he started in the program created by Marty Scalar that um, was to bring in um, more diverse people into Imagineering. And I talked about that um, last year. And then they had a clip from the Imagineering story on the Lincoln Lincoln figure, creating that. And then Bob Gurr was featured in that one. And Leslie's dad, Don Iwerks, um, Lincoln's hands were too big for the figure. So when it was brought to California, they put out a call for hand models and her dad won. And she talked about how she had a hand at home to play tricks with. And again, I talked about that a few weeks ago. <laughs> And um, Iwerks, I know that the Iwerks hand mold is still used today, like in Hall of Presidents, things like that. So they said, how do today's audio animatronic figures relate to Mr. Lincoln figure? And they said it was Walt's desire to create a real figure. And that is the DNA of all creations. So Project Little Man was the first mechanical figure, a film buddy Ebsen, in front of a, of a grid so that they could translate it into the figure. And, and so, and I, this is, um, in, in, um, one man's dream at, at the Disney MGM, well, Disney Hollywood studios. You can see that figure. And they, they said that they just, um, started, you know, they just started creating the AA figures, you know, they controlled them with joysticks. Then after um, they joined, they used Anacode and a console to, to move and program the figures. And now with software used by the animators, they, they can create the current um, audio animatronic figures. So then they said that, um, the first, the first figures in terms of advancements in the guts of the figures, the first figures were pneumatic and they said they, this worked great for the tiki birds, but not with human figures. So then they moved to hydraulics and sensors to create, um, to create the figures. And, but they said that that could be very messy. 
So they said now they use electronic animation. They can match um, 3D um, animation created with software. And they said the future of audio animatronics is the illusion of life, like stuntronics, like the Spider-Man figure that we see at Avengers Campus at Disney California Adventure, and also the baby Groot figure that they've created. And they had a clip of that baby Groot figure. It was It's cute. And then Daniel said for years, there was so much um, sort of innovation and inventions at, at Walt Disney Studios, like the multiplane camera. It gave dimension to 2D animation. So he talked about how elements from the films um, will create the illusion of, and that they bring them to life in the parks. And so they said they do a lot of mock-ups before anything, any figure is installed in the parks. So, and then they said there was a new version of the multi-plane camera and it allowed them to create illusions like um, the cosmic rewind queue, which I've never been in. And the 20,000 leagues under the sea at Disneyland Paris, which I have been on. So, and then Joseph said he likes to tinker and see how things work. And um, he, you know, when he was growing up, Yale Gracie was his hero. And so they said they still use um, Yale Gracie's concepts today. Um, Yale Gracie's um, ballroom scene illusion in the Haunted Mansion, they said still holds up today. And then um, Tokyo Disneyland, the Enchanted Tale of Belle, they showed the transformation of the beast illusion, where he transforms from the beast to the handsome prince in real life in front of guests in real time and on the attraction. So they said that it had to look as good as the film. So they showed a clip of the mock-up that they did, and it was in the... um, the the um, archives exhibit that was there that we'll talk about next week, and then they um, and then they said uh, different teams presented their ideas um, in in how to and then they collaborated on the illusion and the so- show design to make the AA figures and then they showed a clip of that figure transformation. I can't figure out how they did it. It's amazing in there. And so, and then they had a clip of Walt Disney um, from the Epcot City film when he was describing what Epcot City would look like in there, and that led to the Walt Disney um, the Walt Disney Re- World Resort ambassadors um, introducing the Epcot Milestones panel. But was there anything you wanted to um, add to the hundred years of animation magic in uh, hundred years of innovation magic in every medium? I think you captured it well. I think what I left with on that one was just their commitment to their craft mm-hmm. that that today's um, the, uh, Imagineers, you know, are, are, you know, that they were doing the call out to Yale Gracie. They seem, you know, they are as committed as Yale Gracie and Mark Davis and the early Imagineers um, and that they want to get it right. Um, and I, I feel like that's that's really important. Um, nobody wants to see bad animatronics. And, and, and it sounds like, at least with the ones that they talk to, that it, that's a commitment that they share. Yes, yes. And um, I agree with you. And I think it's amazing, you know, what, you know, what they have coming up next. 
But then, um, so anyway, so this was the Epcot Milestones panel, and it was the last panel of the day. And so we had Christina Case um, from Walt Disney Imagineering. Scott Malkowitz was back. Um, Kartika Rodriguez, um, Brianna Post. There were others as well, but they didn't post their names on the screen, so I couldn't get them all. So they talked about how Epcot was the first um, non-castle park with an, and it was to be an optimistic place like Walt and his belief that what we have in common is more important than what divides us. I think that's something our world needs to remember today. So, and then um, they talked about the Epcot transformation, the legacy of Epcot center that they said was a dream of Walt's. And they, uh, Marty Scalar, they said, was a great distiller of Walt's vision. And in the archives, they found the storyboards from the animated segment of the Epcot film, which they said was the foundation and inspiration for the transformation of Epcot. So Marty's notes um, sort of reflect what Imagineers do today. The process hasn't changed. So from Marty's notes, it said, like, um, the the acceleration of change um, grows each year to provide ongoing meeting place where the world may gather to um, to admire the excellence of environmental planning to create an artful and efficient environment. So this was what they used to guide themselves in creating Epcot. So they said the essence of Epcot is optimism, optimism and creation. And they showed the um, first press release describing Epcot and World Showcase in there. And then for Epcot, um, Wed developed the um, distinctions of the parks. So in Magic Kingdom, Fantasy Reigns, Animal Kingdom is alive with magic um, Disney Hollywood Studios is Let the Adventure Begin. And Epcot is the, um, is sort of like the, the fantasy of Animal Kingdom, but it ends with the magic of possibilities. So they talked about, you know, what is uniquely Epcot, that there's something for everyone. They can create memories as a family from thrills to architecture and many things in between, like the gardens, the food, the attractions. You can meet people from other cultures create and create future travelers. And so the legacy of um, art is, uh, is like a nonverbal form of communication. So the, like the mural in front of spaceship earth is a literal story. And then the mosaics of the land tells you what's coming in a different way in there. And the murals and connections, um, continue the legacy by, you know, telling the story of food and, um, cultures in there. So, uh, they are sort of re, creating the entrance it's a balance of texture and harmony based on um, early inspiration art for the park and they said that you know they said how marty pushed together the world showcase model with the um, future world model you move them together to create the park and they said now of course we have neighborhoods we have the um Entrance for Spaceship Earth with new lighting gave it new kinetic energy with new fountains and planters and all that. 
World Showcase has the 11 country pavilions, areas of distinct, the distinctive cultures, food, architecture. The new show, Luminous, is going to be worthy of the, of the lagoon, they said. And then there are those neighborhoods, World of Discovery, where it's ideas of science, um, exploration, travel, mobility, and technology. World of Nature is the beauty of our natural world and how we um, interact in it and with it. And then, and that includes like the land and the living seas and the new Moana um, water feature that's opening up. And then they talked about how Soaring Over California is returning on December 22nd for a limited run. And then they talked about Journey of Water Inspired by Moana. It's a self-guided exploration trail about the water cycle, um, bringing back um, the edutainment aspect of Epcot, which I've always missed, you know, education um, through an entertaining way. Then they talked about Dreamer's Point, and it's sort of the triptych of telling Walt stories. You know, we have the storyteller statue at Disney California Adventure when Walt was just starting out on his journey. And then we have the partner statue in the parks. And then there's the dreamer's point is Walt at the end of his life dreaming about his vision of Epcot and looking at how his vision was created. And it's going to be overlooking gardens and Mickey and friends will be in the Communicore Plaza and it will um, sort of, it, the Epcot pattern structure and materials will be, you know, sort of displayed in a new way. And um, so anyway, so, so far, so what do you think of all this, Anita, all the, sort of the transformation of Epcot? Well, I think it definitely needed something. And I, I know I, I'm ready to see those walls come mm-hmm. down that feel like they've been up for five years, um, you know, with the construction. But no, I think that there's some nice focus here, um, keeping the things that they're not changing, but but giving the different the areas like a different identity. Um, I think that'll mm-hmm. work. I agree. I have a hard time with them saying that this Epcot is still Walt's vision. I just don't feel it is at all. He did not envision a theme park of Epcot. I know they say, well, they've taken concepts of his original vision and used it to create the park. I just feel that's a stretch. Almost a justification. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a town. Nobody's living there. Yeah. (laughs) So. So anyway, but you know, I understand they had to do something. <laughs> so, and they said there's going to be a Mickey and Friends mural, and it's going to be about the history and um, legacy of Epcot, and it's going to have Easter egg, um, Easter eggs that of figures that are part of the Epcot history that's being created. And and I have this is where they talked about the new space for festivals. Yep. Yeah, festivals of Epcot. And that's where the Odyssey is going to be a part of that to extend the festival area. I, I can't remember anything else that they um, talked about in that. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't have anything. And then they either. talked about the test track reimagining that we've already discussed. And they just talked about how optimism, education, exploration – is at the root of the park and its transformation. And then that's when they announced that we're going to get to see Epcot at the um, event. 
tonight. And that was pretty much the end of all the panels on day one. So how did you feel day one went just in general? It was a nice day one felt very much like the, we've got to get everybody represented today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it didn't have as much, it, and it was very future oriented. It, it wasn't as much homage, homage to the past as day two will be, as we'll, we'll talk about um, next week, but I liked it. I liked day two better. Um, but I thought that there were some good sessions. I think my favorites, I liked the Leslie Iwerks um, sessions, a session mm-hmm. both with Becky Klein and then the one she did herself. Um, and I liked the, um, I, I did like the history part with UB. I, I felt sometimes it overwhelmed with all the announcements, like that first one on the Disney parks. It was just, you know, new, 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 all these things. Um, but I liked the UB. I, and I loved the whales much more than I thought I would. Um mm-hmm. You know, there was such a there was so much heart to that. And I really do feel like whether he intends it or not, he's got the spirit of kind of the Disney true life um, adventures going on with the work he's doing with National Geographic. And it made me feel like that synergy between Disney and National Geographic made more sense than I ever thought it did. Just, you know, because I just thought, oh, they just acquired it as part of an acquisition. But I do see a real synergy there in in that kind of piece you know, based on what Walt, you know, did in the, with the true life adventures. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. So I enjoyed the day. I thought that overall it went well. So in our next episode, we'll talk about day two of Destination D23. I'll also talk about my elephant experience when I participated in caring for giants at Animal Kingdom. And my thoughts on Genie Plus after I broke down and finally use the service. And I don't know, it's possible to feel clean and dirty at the same time. <laughs> and I <laughs> I will talk about that next week. <laughs> but now it's time for this week in Disney history. Okay, Anita, I always let guests go first if they would like to. So would you like to go first with yours? Sure, that would be fine. I chose September 16th, 1941. And that is the day that after the strike officially ended, work resumed at the studio. And I chose this day and and it, it resumed with a much smaller um, number of employees, uh, 694 down from 1,200, because I feel like that day was the start of the new normal at the Disney mm-hmm. studio. And that new normal was different. Um, we know that 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 period, that strike, um, we know it didn't grow as organically as everybody thought at one point, but that there were some Machiavellian forces at work behind the scenes on that whole thing. We know that trust became even more important and that it changed Walt. Um, But it also showed the resiliency that the studio was going to continue, that they were, I mean, this is 1941. There's a lot of good output still to come. And they managed to create that despite what happened. But I feel like it was a date that should be marked, that it was, it was, 
the beginning of the studio post strike and um, everybody had to get used to that reality. Uh, but at least that chapter had ended. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. that that And that was a turning point for the studio. Walt's relationship with his employees, things like that. Very, very dramatic um, for the studio. Um, mine is sort of the day before yours. Actually, it's September 15th, but I'm going back to 1928 because since we're talking about where it all started, a hundred years of, of, uh, you know, the history of the Walt Disney Company, this is when Walt went to New York to, re- to record the sound for Steamboat Willie. So, because they didn't have any recording facilities on the West Coast. So, Walt hired um, a a 17-piece orchestra and three sound effects professionals, and he recorded the music and the sound effects for the Mickey Mouse short. Nothing went right with this. Um, One And one of the big problems is that the studio, the orchestra found it difficult to play in sync with the animated film. And this is a lot because the conductor felt he would be able to keep the orchestra um, in sync with it. So he didn't want any of the um, assistants that, that Ub Iwerks and Walton all that had created to keep it in sync. So um, he couldn't keep up. Because you know how fast-paced Steamboat Willie is. So by the end of the day, Walt had spent $1,000 in 1928 money for this session, and nothing could be used out of the session. So there had to be a little more preparation before he re-recorded it again. He called Roy. He told Roy to sell his car so that they could get money for the session. And then Walt, um, let's say, streamlined the next session and force them to use the um, synchronization uh, that had been developed for them, basically like a bouncing ball on the screen to help them keep up the beat and all that. And then the, and Walt actually did all the voices um, in it this time around, including the, the, the parrot and all of that. So this again is a great example of Steamboat Willie here's getting ready to roll to sail out. Walt was not un- undaunted um, by this um, <clears throat> failure and loss of a significant part of the money that they had left to create the film, but he carried on. And of course, Steamboat Willie became history in there. So a few things, uh, sort of maybe some follow-ups to what we talked about today. We had lunch both days at Steakhouse 71, um, which you got to give them credit. We arrived late and they got us out of there on time to get to the next session. But um, what did you think of Steakhouse 71, Anita? I enjoyed both of my meals, especially the the grilled cheese uh, yes. the second day, which was the grilled cheese with the... Uh, the pork belly mm-hmm. and that was just and the texture of that and the um, everything was really good. But the first day I think I had the um, prime rib so sandwich and that was very good as well. I thought the service was great. Um, both days, the waiters and uh, the servers were um, friendly and understanding and, and yet they kind of kept things um, on pace. You were, you were really good about saying, Hey, we're at a conference. 
um, and they they took that on board. And as you said, they accommodated us. And I think they probably put people in our seats after we left and accommodated them too. Mm-hmm. So um, it was convenient. It was easy to get to, which I think makes it a great location when you're at the Contemporary Convention Center. Um, but I was happy with the, the value uh, for the money for those meals. I agree. I agree. They were very generous in their portions. And, oh, my gosh, that grilled cheese sandwich was probably the best grilled cheese sandwich I ever had. So I highly recommend yeah. it. So um, I got in the mail a Destination D23 survey. So do, have you gotten it yet? I got in the email. You got an yeah, email, email or paper? Email. Oh, I don't think mm, I well, did. Well, search I'll for it. They asked um, all kinds of things about, you know, how many, you know, have I been to them in the past? Um, you know, they always ask reasons why you joined D23, what's important to you, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then they had you rate all the panels and all the other experiences things like that. And then they um, talked about the, uh, you know, the, um, you know, you know, you could enter comments in there, you know, things like that, which is going to bring us to the final event we're going to talk about tonight. I shared what I thought of sort of D23 night at Epcot, you know, with them in the evening at Epcot with D23. So we're, we're saving that one for the end here. So, um, but anyway, so it was interesting. So keep an eye out for that survey. Of course, one of the highlights for me is always meeting listeners. And then, um, and so I want to thank everybody who came up and said hello and and, um, all of that. It was, that was one of the highlights for me was meeting everybody because, you know, I'm looking at a, I'm staring at a screen as I'm recording. I'm looking at the script on another screen. I'm talking to a microphone. I don't see who's at the other end. And so it's just great to to meet the people that are are listening here. Before we continue on, though, let's talk about an evening at Epcot with D23. This was where when you come in, um, you know, we first watched the Disney, the Epcot Forever fireworks, which I enjoyed because I remember the very simple fireworks they had at Disneyland when I was a boy, and I love fireworks. So it's clear this is a placeholder. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed hearing the the clips and tracks from films and from attractions and parades and things that are in the past. I thought the fireworks show was decent. I thought it was very good. I know we've all been spoiled with all the special effects of projections and of course, you know, um, illuminations and, you know, and even the last thing that they had in the lagoon. And um, anyway, so this was just a simple fireworks show and I thought it was good, but yeah, it was it yeah. was fine. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it was a nice punctuation mark. If you'd spent your day there at Epcot all day, it was a nice little way to kind of um, end end with a splash or a bang. And uh, so, yeah, I think it, it got the job done for for the purpose it yeah. served. Yeah, I agree. And then we went to the special events tent, the big building that they have in um the Canada Pavilion. And you go there sometimes, they, they have special events there. Uh, if they have merchandise, um, sometimes special merchandise is being sold, a rollout, that's where you go to pick it up, things like that. Um, so we go in, 
And of course, the highlight, this is in two parts. In the beginning, there's a DJ there. There, there's finger food, drinks, um, Mickey bars and Mickey sandwich, you know, ice cream sandwiches and all of that. And during that time, we're all in there. There's a huge line for figment because this is the figment, you know, this is the big deal now because he's going to be out in the parks the next day. So this was supposed to be a treat for us. This line was enormous. And what we didn't know at the time, or I didn't know, is at 1030, he was not going to do his meet and greets anymore. And now it was, you know, it was nine o'clock, little after nine. We're in this huge line and the line is moving at a crawl and they're not managing it. First of all, figment was late. And then they're not managing the line. They're not getting people to go through, get through the line so we can see, get everybody. Then at what was it? About 10, 15, 10, 20, they announced, okay, we're opening the doors. You can go to Spaceship Earth, Cosmic Rewind, and Test Track. I would say most of the people left at that point, but we still had the line of people who were there to see Figment. That was about the, it was a little before that, that they then announced um, that that Figment is going to leave at 10.15 and not everybody in the line might see him. Then they started, or 10.30, then they started managing the line and getting people to go through and you couldn't take single photos. They made that line move like the way it should have i would say there was what would you say about 10 more minutes he would have been able to see everybody but they yeah i think mm-hmm. yeah, yeah but they pulled him at ten thirty to go dance on stage for 15 minutes and they said well you can get your photos there if they didn't make him dance on st- first off they'd managed the line in the beginning and properly, we would have gotten through by 10.30, easily. But when they pulled him to dance on stage, which was silly, instead of these were clearly the people in line who had been there for an hour and a half, they wanted to meet him. And they said, nope, nope we're pulling him. Instead, of, let's have him dance on stage for five minutes and let's finish out the line. And unfortunately, we were part of the leftovers. So we did not get to pose with Figment. And people were booing at the, at that, you know. And um, I don't know. Did I describe this experience accurately, <laughs> Anita? Yes. And, and I think you're right. I mean, if they had – there are so many things they could have done differently. They could have had two spaces where Figment was behind curtains, you know. you And, and so, you know, everybody knows that there's a certain amount of – buying into the belief when you have a character greeting and, and they think they would have been willing to be like, Oh, this figments figments appearing in two different spaces tonight. And that would, that could have done it. They could have had a Disney photographer there taking the pictures very quickly instead of wasting time with people handing off cell phones. And they could have just given access to the album to everybody who, who attended the convention. You could go find your own picture. Um, so many things they could have done. They didn't do any of that. And yes, if they had not had him dance for 15 minutes on stage with people trying to take selfies over their shoulder, they would have been able to, um, to just, if they had not done that, we would have all been able to go through the line and get our pictures. And I think what you didn't mention, but to compound it 
was that when you and I complained to two people from D23, they looked at us as if we had absolutely no grounds for complaint that how dare, how dare we have the audacity to complain about what they were providing to us. And that made the whole thing even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. So I'm hoping they learn from this because as we learn the next day, um, they got a lot of feedback about this. So hopefully they will learn from this experience anyway. So I still have to meet figment and all that. And Michael, I just wanted to mention the other thing we got to do on Saturday night was go through the journey. That's right. That's right. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, First of all, I don't understand how it took so long to build, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, it was nice. It was very pleasant. It was a warm night. I liked all the mist. There's a lot of interactive experiences in it, and you, um, some of them just weren't working. And I thought, okay, this just opened. How can they not be working already? <laughs> so this does not bode well for for that but i thought it was nice that you do it does take you through the cycle of water so that you can learn about it and the and so you can read about it i don't know how many people are going to take time to read but it's it would be great for families to this is a way you can explain to your children how the water cycle works on the planet and um and and have fun at the same time because there were places where if you moved your hands the water danced you know, there, there were a couple things like that. There was one where it's like a little waterfall, but as you walk through it, the water parts. You know, so there were some really cute things um, in that. But, you know, it's low capacity. So, you know, it's not a huge area. So um, why this isn't an animal kingdom, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, but anyway, it's nice. It's, it's very pleasant and all that. They're going to have to limit if it gets crazy when it first opens. They're going to have to limit the number of people they let in because it's going to it's going to bottle oh, up yeah. at all the interactive things. Um, at least they have several interactive things together where you have more than one station, but it's still going to get bottled up. But I thought it was nice. I thought it was was pretty. I like my my pictures on my cell phone look better. You know, it really does the lighting and then seeing the um, spaceship Earth yeah. in the background, and then when you finally get to the big Moana depiction um that that was really i agree beautiful. with you I, I think seeing it at night is probably the best way to see it because the lighting just complements it so well so they did a good job with that agree so finally a couple of other things is that first of all I'm, I'm excited to say that connecting with walt it was on another list and this time we're on the 12 of the best podcasts about everything disney and they list some other very good podcasts on there too. We were last and, and the writer said that we were the gold standard. So I'm, you know, very honored and humbled by that. And I want to thank everybody who's. And that was well deserved. Oh, thank Michael. you. Thank you. That's very kind. I appreciate it. But I want to thank everybody who's been a part of the show from Craig from the very beginning to my, um, you know, my teammates from the Disneyland show to, you know, all the guest speakers, hosts, you and Nita, who have been on, um, just thank you because you all contributed to the success of Connecting with Walt. And hopefully we have many more years to um, to go on this, this little storytelling journey together. Finally, August hiatus. Um, I posted on my on, um, 
on our Connecting with Walt Twitter page and also on my Facebook page that I was working on a secret project and there was a photo of myself and Bob Gurr. That was in Bob Gurr's studio where he now also has a podcast and all that that he operates out of. What this is, is um, I it was many, many, many weeks ago, I got an email from a studio that creates documentaries and they were, um, they're creating one on Walt Disney and they said they'd like to speak to me about it because this seemed, I think they said right up my alley. So I set up a time a few days later with the producer. We had a 75 minute conversation, which was clearly an interview. And at the end of that conversation, we, you know, we were talking about Walt and different aspects of Walt's life and my thoughts on certain things and, you know, and all that. And after 75 minutes, she said, you know, I think you would, um, we want you to be a part of this documentary. And so then we started the arranging of trying to find a date and they flew me down there for the day to Orange County and, um, and all that. And, and so, yeah, I spent my whole afternoon being, being recorded, being filmed for this documentary. And Bob Gurr is in it. I know the, oh, there's a woman in it who has, um, the largest Mickey Mouse collection in the world. And I saw photos of her home. It is astonishing. There is not one inch, one little part of her home, walls, ceiling, you name it, that doesn't have Mickey Mouse on it somehow. It was impressive. And I forget who the fourth person was. I didn't meet, I only met Bob Gurr because we were recording in his studio and we were recording on the same day. He was recording in the morning. I was being filmed in the afternoon. So that's what it is. Now, In uh, once it gets released, I'll let you know and where you can view it. And stuff like that, but it's very exciting. I really, I really felt like a Disney historian um, then. So, and and I, and I focused most. What they wanted to know from me is the early years of Walt, um, his legacy, you know, things like that. So what we, what I was asked about. So anyway, so that's it. So that's my exciting secret project. So I'll let you more as I learn. I'll tell you more as I learn more about it. Well, this is a marathon show. I appreciate, Anita, you're in the East Coast, so I appreciate you staying up for this. But we've been gone for a month, so we're giving you an extra long show. So until next time, you can connect with me at um, Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. And Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter. I refuse to call it X. At connecting wall so anita thank you so much for um being a part of the show um this week i appreciate it i had a great time thank you so much oh Michael. you're welcome my pleasure i hope I, I hope you'll be back so but, i would love to. but if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of walt disney his studio his imagineers and disneyland check out our disneyland podcast archives for my disney history episodes on the link craig includes in our show notes or disneyplug.com and look for past episodes of connecting with walt on itunes spotify stitcher google play pandora and amazon podcasts where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible 
So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 